Well, I think that always product executives need to be partnering very closely with their counterparts in sales. But when there's a downturn in the economy, companies need to move to more of a, hopefully not necessarily survival mode, but close to that. In some ways, some of those lavish long-term goals, long-term initiatives that even the product team may be really excited about may need to be slowed down in order to help the go-to-market teams make their numbers because that's part of the company being able to really continue and survive. You're listening to GTM Disrupted with Mike Smart of Egress Solutions. Learn how product management and product marketing thought leaders are rethinking their business strategies to thrive in a world of radical change. Hi, my name is Mike Smart and welcome to Go to Market Disrupted. Today I have Laura Marino with me. Laura is a chief product officer, board member, advisor to CEOs and lecturer. And we're here to talk about key learnings for the role of CPO. But before we jump in, let me give you a little bit, bit about Laura's background. Laura has over 25 years of experience leading product teams in large and small organizations, including Nuance, Microsoft, Intap, and more recently, TrueML, a FinTech AI company. Laura is a guest lecturer at Stanford and at Los Andes University in Colombia. As one of the few female Latin American technology executives in Silicon Valley, she strives to serve as a role model for the Latinx community. Laura, I'm pleased to have you with me today. Thank you for stopping by. We're looking forward to having a good conversation with you about your role and your experience. Thanks, Mike. I'm delighted to be here. You know, I gave a brief thumbnail of your background. I know there's more to that, more to your background than just that intro. And Many times my listeners want to know, how did you get here? So what's the journey for you coming from your background, your experience to becoming a product executive in a technology? So I'm originally from Colombia and my background was in civil engineering. I came to the U.S. I came to Stanford to get a master's in civil engineering. And for about nine years, I worked developing software for reservoir operations. But the software industry was going crazy, and I really wanted to move to the software industry. So I actually went back to Stanford for a master's in management science and engineering, and that's where I really started my career in product. Now, back when I started, the idea of what product management was, was very confusing. It was sort of this discipline that you learned as you worked. It's dramatically different now. I mean, if you look at the number of books, courses, podcasts, blogs, there are about product management. None of that existed when I started my career, but I was very fortunate that I joined Nuance. At the time, it was a startup in Silicon Valley that was doing speech recognition in the very, very early days of speech recognition. And it was a company that had a very strong product management discipline. So I learned a lot during my six years there. We went through IPO. We then later got acquired. So I, I really started my product management career there. And I have been very fortunate that I've had opportunities to learn and stretch myself. During those years, I think I really strengthened sort of my core product management. And after that, I moved to really be part of the executive team 
I would scale up companies, companies that were more going through this fast growth stage and being part of an executive in those companies. And that was Intap and then later Lever and more recently TrueML. And I find that a really exciting stage of a company is I call it the teenage years. You're uh, moving from being an early startup to really scaling, but you're not quite a mature company. And the company itself has to go through a lot of transitions. So that's kind of a, a very short description of what my career has been. I, I'm worn by your analogy about the best companies being teenage companies. And those of us who are parents know that the teenage years are also the most troubling sometimes too. Right. So, but it's not boring. I, and I appreciate that. You, you've done this work for a while. You've had multiple perspectives. You've shared some of what you see that's different. The fact that when you started, there were no, there were no support, not many support tools around and, and not to date you or me. I can remember when there was maybe one or two books out about what it meant to be a product manager. And there was probably only one standardized course that you could take at the time as well. What's important in this role that maybe wasn't five years ago or six years ago? Well, definitely, if you are in technology, technology is changing all the time. And we, everybody now, of course, is seeing what our generative AI is doing. And I think that if you are in technology, especially if you're a product person, you need to be watching what's going on. You need to be very careful, though, to separate hype from what's really important. So going back to basics, going back to the principle of what you're trying to do is to solve a problem for customers. And some tools are going to be great. And uh, generative AI is going to be great for some of those things. It may not be great for everything. So I would say kind of, of course, the most recent big thing has been generative AI. But having said that, there are a lot of technologies that are constantly evolving and you need to be thinking about if and how that may impact what you're doing. The other thing, though, is also not just looking at how technology is evolving, but how customer and consumer are evolving. The expectations of people when they touch products are dramatically different today than they were five years ago or 10 years ago. And when I started my career, and I've mostly been in business to business, a lot of the B2B software was not designed with the end user in mind. It was very much does the functionality deliver and yep. the users better dealt with that. So I think that that's been a dramatic change and that's happened over several years now, but users expect now that their business applications be intuitive and be easy to use and that's because they've been trained based on very good consumer applications. When I first started, and again, I was in B2B, design was something that not every company had or took seriously. And sometimes it was something that was brought at the end to try to make something look better. I remember fighting in some of my companies when I came in as a leader saying, I need design people. Design needs to be working with product from the very beginning. If you step back and look at the span of your career and the span of the multiple different companies and different industry sectors you've been in, can you pull out a few common themes, common truths that you'd say, no matter what, 
these are things that you, if you're an executive in this product area, these are things that are important, that are meaningful. Yes. And I think that there are some very specific characteristics about B2B that are different than B2C. And a lot of what has been written for product management has been more focused to B2C and everybody's aware of the importance of experimentation and quick iterations and feedback. Some of those things are much harder to apply when you're in B2B. And there are a couple of things about B2B that in some ways make it more challenging and more interesting. You have more stakeholders and you have more powerful stakeholders because you may have very strong customers, but your sales team can be very powerful. And as a product leader, there's a very important balance to strike. You want to partner with your sales team, but you have to be really careful to not allow the sales team and those powerful customers to take over the roadmap. That is, uh, I would say, one of the most typical challenges for a product leader in B2B. You and your team are responsible to moving the product forward towards the vision that the company has and in a way that's going to serve the broader market. And if you have large, powerful enterprise customers or sales team that are trying to make that big next sale that will make the quarter, there will be a lot of pressure for you to do things that may not be the right things for the product. But you still need to support the sales team. The sales team needs to be bringing the revenue. So it's that very careful balance between what you need to do and accommodate for the short term versus how you maintain the product and the product vision for the long term. I had a chance to look at one of your more recent blog posts. I think the title of it, She's Not Strategic. And it's, it's a full, it's a, well, it's a well-written blog. It's worth a read, but there's an area that I, I want to kind of take the area we're in right now and sort of use some, some things that you bring out in that to expand on. One of the things you talk about in this whole idea of product strategy is the impact of tying product strategy to business strategy. Can you share your thinking and your thoughts about that? What, is that? what does that actually mean? Because we say that a lot, and I'm not sure a lot of times people don't really understand what that, that implies. So if you are in a tech company, the product is at the core of what that company will do. And you, companies will have a vision for what they want, the change that they want to make. And the product is going to be the vehicle for that company to make that change in the world. So you have this long-term vision, but you also need to survive as a company and have milestones and financial milestones that need to be supported by the product. In a VC-backed world, for example, companies and VCs are going to be expecting that companies that got funding start moving and showing some traction and milestones. And it's so called money, Laura, isn't it? It's <laughs> called money. <laughs> and so when you think about business goals, for example, at some point for companies that are subscription-based companies, net retention is very critical. So the company and the leadership needs to be looking at metrics that are very important. Well, guess what? If net retention is not where it should be, the product has to focus on those things that are going to be making sure that customers are happy and they have to prioritize that over things that might bring new sales or that might attract a slightly different sector in the market. So when 
I say that product strategy really needs to be tied with business strategy. Essentially means everybody in the company needs to be rowing in the same direction. And the sales team is going to be targeting the right customer base that product can actually serve. And marketing is going going to be after that. It can't be each group thinking that they know where they need to go. First of all, I want to thank you for your answer. It, it, it does explain exactly what I was hoping it would. It also sets up my next question so well. I appreciate that. In the world we're operating in today, especially in the B2B space, especially in tech, there is this market dynamic we're dealing with, it's high uncertainty. And so suddenly things related to go-to-market or GTM have now gotten major focus. It's like suddenly somebody has just recently pulled out the magnifying glass and said, let's go look at this. And so what I'm really wanting to understand is your perspective on how does that impact what a product executive now has to prioritize? You've hit on some of it already. I'm just wondering if you can expand more and share more thoughts about that. Well, I think that always product executives need to be partnering very closely with their counterparts in sales and marketing. But when there's a downturn in the economy, Companies need to move to more of a, hopefully not necessarily survival mode, but close to that. In some ways, some of those lavish long-term goals, long-term initiatives that even the product team may be really excited about may need to be slowed down in order to help the go-to-market teams make their numbers because that's part of the company being able to really continue and survive. And so I would say that macroeconomic environment impacts how you need to focus on. And I've been, because I've had a very long career, I've been in uh, the industry in periods of high growth where everything is up and to the right and it's all about grow and you're growing your team and you're adding products and it's great. And I've been through downturns and in downturns, the product leader and all of the leaders in the company, but the product leader needs to make some difficult decisions. And some of those are you stop investing in some of these really great initiatives because you need to potentially accommodate some tactical things that are actually going to help the sales team in the short term. So I think that it's really important to to really understand where you are, what's happening, so that you can prioritize the right things. Egress Solutions is a high-touch product growth and market success consultancy. Since 2009, Egress Solutions has had successful engagements with the top technology organizations, delivering insights into buyer preferences, product market fit, product management, and go-to market excellence. Egress Solutions accelerates top-line growth and market success for our clients. Go to www.egresssolutions.net to learn more. One of the things that we see in the B2B technology space is the sales-led, sales-dominated go-to-market. What are some of the things that a product executive have to, has to be aware of or careful of or protect against in, in so, that kind of situation? Yeah, product leaders need to partner very closely with sales and with marketing. And what I would say is the biggest risk when companies are very sales-driven is that the roadmap is taken over by 
the sales team and the large prospects and customers that they are trying to secure. And you end up with a team, a product team that's completely reactive, that's chasing the next one little feature that the prospect is asking for, the competition is saying they have. And that's not a good place to be. So as a product leader, you need to be very clear of what are going to be the priorities that will balance this short-term and long-term. You need to work closely with the sales team and you need to help them understand why you are going to say no to certain things. And that, as I said, that does require uh, a close partnership and trust. In one of my companies at Intap, for example, I, uh, we serve the largest law firms in the US, UK, Australia, and Canada. And uh, each of those law firms felt that they were the most important customer that we ever had. And they were pushing many things we felt were not useful for the overall market. But at one point, we came out with a brand new product that actually had a competitor in the market. And in order to get those customers to trust that we could do better than that competitor, we actually had to commit to delivering things to them. And it worked because we partnered closely with sales. We worked with sales to say, okay, you can commit that we will be deliver after three months this other piece of functionality that the competitor had and we didn't yet have because it was a brand new product. But the only reason why it worked is because we agreed with sales ahead of time what was possible and what was not. You don't want to be in a situation where sales is promising things that product is not going to be able to deliver. So it's interesting you say that. I've lived on both sides, by the way. I've been that sales leader who would commit the roadmap and everybody along with it to make my number for my team. And it actually is a reason why I ended up moving into product management. But one of the things that you're pointing out, and I learned the hard way, was uh, there has to be a level of transparency, right? You have to, the product managers have to be able to, product leaders, as well as managers, have to be able to talk about what's coming and be real about what's coming. And then give sales, I'm going to use the term, the tools or the pitch, on how to position that so it has a sales advantage for them. I think that you are right. That's what I'm saying. But you mentioned a couple of things that, that I wanted to highlight. There's two or three things there that I think are worth highlighting. The transparency piece. I tell my teams that product managers are successful if everybody's equally unhappy with them because as a product manager, you're going to have to say no. You never have enough engineering resources to build everything that everybody would want. And transparent as to why you're saying no to certain things and what are the things that you will deliver. And I remember that when I was at Lever, for example, and Lever was a recruiting software company, wonderful company, we had part of the sales team was trying to sell into the smaller market and part of the sales team was trying to sell into the more enterprise-like companies. And clearly they needed two completely different sets of features. So we aligned as the executive team of what was going to be the strategy. And then we had to go back and tell part of the sales team that like, we are not going to work on those features that you and your customers are asking for because our strategy is to start going up market and therefore we need to invest our resources on that. This is why. And they might not have been happy, the, the group that was selling to the smaller companies, but at least they understood. Yeah. And that's a very first step. And then the second step, which you mentioned, is help 
But what I also found working at Lever was we had a very unique product, but we had a lot of competitors and the sales team was falling back into the trap of comparing feature to feature. And some of our competitors had been around longer and had more features. And that was not the point. The point was you cannot get into a conversation where the customer is trying to compare feature by feature. You need to proactively be telling what's the differentiation. And we did have a very differentiated product. But if they don't have that story, if they are not able to show this is what is unique about our product, then yeah, you may not have all these other list of features. That doesn't matter because this is what's unique. It is hard for the sales team to compete. And that's where they, I would say, product marketing comes in to work very closely with product management to help create the pitch and the story that's really going to resonate. I want to sort of recap what we just shared, because I think there's a lot there, because it's, there are people that listen to this podcast and people in the space, as you well know, that have not seen a downturn, right? Their entire careers, the last 10 or 12 years have been this up into the right movement. Yeah, during a downturn, I think it's really important to be ready to read uh, your roadmap and your strategy. I mean, that's the whole point about being agile and responding to the market conditions. One thing that's also important to consider is if there's an economic downturn, it's going to impact you, but it's also going to impact your customers. So one of the questions is, how is it impacting your customers? What can you do so that you help them? When we were, when I was at Lever and that's when uh, COVID hit and here we are recruiting platform and of course, all of our customers were buying Lever because they were recruiting and bringing in new employees and they had the whole flow for evaluating those candidates. Well, guess what? COVID hits and the first thing is nobody's going to have in-person interviews. So we were able to very quickly adjust the roadmap. We had started working on embedding in the product uh, Zoom so that people could have video interviews. And we knew that that was absolutely critical for us to get out so that our customers could continue with their business. But in addition to that, it also meant, well, guess what? Things are going to change for us as well because people were busy laying off employees in the early days of COVID. And so you really need to start looking at what are the things that you're going to cut that you had in your roadmap that you're not going to do anymore because you are not going to be able to afford that expanding the product in this situation when things you're going to have to start really saving money and expand, extending your run rate. What would you be as a CPO planning, building for, anticipating or getting ready for over the next 12 to 24 months? What would be your priorities? So yes, you are still the functional leader for product and and really kind of working close with engineering, but you need to start looking at your executive team as your primary team and be totally aligned with them. So I would say companies need to make sure that they have an executive team that can have honest, tough conversations, but they, that they are all aligned. The next thing that I would say, and of course I don't have a crystal ball, nobody does, but I would say. I think that we got a wake up call because what had been happening over the last 10 years and especially in the last, I don't know, in 2021 was really not very real. And I think companies need to be aware that they have to go back to basics in terms of they need to be solving a problem that customers care about. 
And they need to do it in a way the company itself is viable. So there has to be a business model that will allow the company to actually uh, solve that problem while growing and being able to expand what they are doing. And those seem very basic. I think that some of those things were a little bit forgotten during the hype of the just throw money, just grow as fast as you can. And then I think that because the competition for customers, the competition for consumer attention is going to get higher, you need to always be focused on what's the value you're, you're delivering to the consumer, what's the value that you're delivering to the customer. It, it has to start with that. Otherwise, it will not uh, be successful. Who do you look to or inside or outside of the industry for inspiration? Where do your thoughts, ideas, those kind of things come from? Well, one of the things that keeps me energized, and that's why I do, I teach. I love teaching. I love sharing what I know. I've been teaching at Stanford as, I guess, lecturer for now, and I love that. I also love, I'm a, a board member of an organization, a nonprofit called Leading Women in Technology that is helping women get to the next level to leadership. That's something that I care about a lot. And uh, again, it's a nonprofit. It's a wonderful program. And so those types of things energize me. I uh, have a great network of women leaders who are part of kind of my support group, my mentors. And so I, I think it's very important for you to have those things outside of the work itself you're doing to keep you energized. I also, I was saying early on that I, I love podcasts. I think I am a runner and I go and run for like two hours on the weekend very slowly, but I listen to podcasts during my entire run. And I have a whole range. I find that it's very helpful to have podcasts that have nothing to do with your specific job. One I really like is called Hidden Brain. And Hidden Brain is about behavioral, like why do people do the things they do? Right. I find it fascinating and I find that I can extract from that things that I, that I can apply in, in, in my day-to-day -day work life. And finally, I mean, in terms of reading, now when I, people ask me, for recommendations. Again, in terms of product management, there's a lot of great stuff out there. But I think that especially as you start moving into being more of an executive, you want to start looking at the broader picture. One book I really like is uh, called The High Growth Handbook by Elad Gill. And it has different authors uh, sharing, but hmm. it really expands your view of what it takes to build and grow and scale a company outside from just your own functional view of things. And I think that that's very helpful. That's great. Those are great suggestions. Those are great practices you have. Or if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, they wanted to reach out, connect, maybe ask you for path advice or whatever, how, what's the best way to do that? I'm primarily on LinkedIn. I do, I do get a lot of requests on LinkedIn. So you, if you want to connect, please make sure that where kind of you heard about me, because if I get pure kind of let's connect and I have no idea, I typically don't, don't necessarily respond. So those so, of you who are motivated, reference GTM Disrupted. Laura, it's been a joy to have you here talking with us. I've enjoyed it. It's been fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming by, spending some time. I know time is precious. I'll 
put this out there and ask if it's okay with you. I'd like to have you come back maybe and share some other ideas and thoughts with the audience. That would be great. I would be happy to. As I said, one of the things that energizes me is to feel that I'm able to share what I've learned with others. So be delighted to do that. Thank you. We'll, we'll, we'll make that happen. And for those of you out there listening, I always say this, but I'm going to repeat it. We love your likes. We love your reviews. We like your downloads and we take your comments seriously. And we're trying to make this a better podcast and a better experience for you. Until next time, this has been Mike Smart with Go to Market Disrupted. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Egress Solutions, head on over to www.egresssolutions.net.